Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm a senior media editor at Digiday. And I'm Keely Barber, media editor at Digiday. All right. So this week, Kaylee, we have a special episode. We did a live recording during the Digiday Publishing Summit, which happened in Vail, Colorado last week. Um, and we had it with uh, Simone Oliver, who is the global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Um, and this, I mean, it seemed like the perfect kind of guest for this type of conversation. So the the last in-person conversation that we did was with Danielle Belton from HuffPost. And that was kind of this um, series that we were doing around editors-in-chief and, you know, new leadership in modern newsrooms, especially those who had started their jobs during the pandemic. And this is almost a little bit of a reprise, but we wanted to speak with um, Simone because of how much She's already learned about the audience at Refinery29 and really what it means for their commerce business, which is, you know, a pretty strong part of the Refinery29 um, business model. Um, but Tim, what did you think was like, I don't know, one of the the big takeaways from this? The inside stuff? I'm a nerd. So like anything data and insights is going to get uh, my ears perked. But um, just like what goes in like the processes that they have in place when it comes to looking at the analytics and how they're applying that both on the editorial standpoint, but then with respect to their commerce business, which I imagine is, you know, as important as ever given the supply chain issues that everyone's having to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really great conversation. I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. So we'll kick it over to the live versions of ourselves. So this is exciting, live podcast. We did this in September last year with Danielle Belden from HuffPost, and now we're kind of running it back with you, Simone. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, so um, as I kind of teased earlier, the topic that we really want to dig into is this kind of content and commerce conversation. I know that Refinery29 does an amazing job of that. Um, But to kind of kick it off, so you've been in your role for 18 months now, just about. What have you learned about the Refinery29 audience and even how they've changed over the course of that time? Yeah, so um, the first thing, you know, burnout is real, not just among the team itself, but our audiences, right? So um, while there's constant, you know, content coming at people from every direction, it's still a lot to sift through, right? And so the way that we connect with them, it's even more important that we're real, right? There can't be any disconnect. There can't be any barriers between the way we talk to our audiences. Um, that's always been true, not a new concept by any means. Um, but the way we do it, we have to get sharp and more strategic at every turn. Got it. And with, like, you all have a bunch of different verticals. Like, there's Refinery29 kind of writ large, but then you also have Unbothered and Somos. And recently, like, I think earlier this month, you reintroduced R29 style. So what does that mean, reintroducing R29 style? And how does that fit into kind of, like, all of the different verticals you all now have at Refinery29? Yeah, so just to level set and give folks in this room a little bit of background, um, R29 started as a shopping vertical, right? Um, It was an alternative to your mainstream fashion magazines uh, where the trend was kind of set from from one um, approach. And um, it highlighted all these different designers and boutiques downtown Manhattan. um, And it was really a discovery engine for a lot of people, right? What are the new brands? Um, And so as the world changed, the brand changed, right? Are the, the type 
types of stories we had to tell changed. Um, you know, our previous presidency, I don't need to say more, but you know, <laughs> we, had to approach, we had to talk about the things that were you know, pertinent to our, our young audience. Um, and so now that you know, I came to the brand, to me it was really important that we go back to our roots because that is what we're known for. And it's also the expectation from our audience, right? The thing that Refinery29 does differently is personal style is paramount. So yes, trends exist, but there are no gatekeepers. We're not gatekeepers. We're here to you know, experience the trends with you. Our audience is savvy as heck, right? They don't need us to tell them the trends, but what we do, I think is different from a lot of our competitors, is we test drive those trends for people. And that's one of the ways, one of the few ways that we generate trust. Got it. And these kind of like verticals that you've built, these subgroups, they also kind of create these like groups of audiences or even communities, right? Like, are you able to kind of learn more about your audience as you're kind of segmenting them into these, you know, verticals of like passion points or interests or things like that? Like, are you able to learn more about like who they are and maybe like what makes them eager to buy something or, you know, read, read on? Absolutely. Um, so in addition to fashion and beauty and relaunching R29 style, um, sex and well-being is another authority area for us, right? Um, work and money. And so when you think about um, how people think about their sexuality, right? That's a very broad topic, but that also, um, we approach everything through the lens of well-being. So when we look at what people shop, sex toys is a major category for us, right? Just consistently performs. But again, we've built that authority through our content um, around sex and well-being. And you all have been kind of expanding the audience beyond like, you know, even shopping content where you have a gaming vertical and like a gaming audience that you've been creating that launched Last year, GG? Yep, yep, GG. Uh, so GG, which stands for good game, um, we introduced that in December of last year. So it's still a new vertical. Uh, we've touched on it you know, throughout our content, but we felt like this was the time. We are really good at creating, like you said, these communities, right? We, we have um, indicators along the way and, and insights that, that help drive you know, what we know and our editor's expertise. Uh, but gaming was really important. I think everyone in this room knows, you know, everyone's trying to tap into to gaming, right? How do you monetize? How do you um, connect with that community? I didn't want to just approach it through the lens of, let's, get, let's make money off of gaming. That's not, you know what I mean? It's like, we do community well, so what's important for us? Um, women underrepresented communities, right? Those are the people who are not getting the big deals in gaming. Those are some of the people who are getting bullied the most you know, across the gaming ecosystem. So for us, again, creating those safe spaces, but within those, what the mindset that people are in, what am I buying? Am I sitting in a Logitech gaming chair? Am I sitting in, you know, what, what devices am I using? But also how am I connecting? There are tons of creators within the gaming community. And I think for us, our biggest opportunity is not just the insidery, insidery gamers and streamers, it's also everyone else. The definition of gaming is broadening, right? So what you buy, beauty, right? Fashion, there's so many people who have identities and communities within the gaming world and multiple gaming worlds that we connect with and that's in our wheelhouse, style being one of them. Got it. And to kind of touch on that, like, I guess, category approach to commerce as well, I'm curious, like, Refinery29 is very rooted in like beauty, style, it, that's just kind of what you've been doing the longest, but you're adding in these other categories. And I know like, I guess one of the questions I had asked like earlier too to you is like beauty can have a very wide range of prices, but I'm curious like how to make a category like that very, you know, 
profitable for you when, you know, a lipstick is maybe $20, you know what I mean? Like when you're talking about like price points or even categories, how are you identifying like the best opportunities for like commerce revenue? I think a lot of it does go back to our authorities areas, right? authority areas, right? So um, fashion and beauty are some of our strongest areas, fashion and home also. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about how people, ex- what, what people expect from us, how they engage with us, um, dresses, right? Big, that's just one of our strongest categories. We see the most conversion across dresses, but also face masks. Everyone is at home and everyone's testing out face masks. They were popular years ago, right? Especially with K-Beauty. But then again, if you weren't into face masks before, over the last 10 years, this is definitely a big entry point for a lot of people. And so for us, that's a big category, right? So like, yes, lipstick, we're all on Zoom all day. It's still important. This is the first time I've worn lipstick in a very long time and it feels good. Um, But face masks are, we know that we can count on on that. Um, Again, going back to, you know, sex and well-being, sex toys in particular. Home, um, I'll venture into that. Mattresses big, big area for us, right? We won a CAPS award um, end of last year because we tested mattresses for 30 days and like the conversions across that was, it was incredible. I can't, you know, mention specific numbers, but um, it was worth noting the team won an award and we, we figured this out together. It really does take a village, right? We have our editorial team, we have our shopping team, we have insights across Vice Media Group, um, we have our SEO team, our audience team, and we're in constant conversation about what's working and what's not. So going back to beauty or even something like Money Diaries, right? An existing community where people are talking about working money, which can sometimes, especially for you know, younger women can be uncomfortable you know, area to talk about. There's a safe space there. So they know, okay, Refinery, I trust them as a brand. They're real, They're, our voice is real. That's also really important. We speak through um, uh, personal POV. So I, every, everything is written in first person, right? Especially across mm-hmm. shopping, but that also extends to editorial. So we work together to make sure um, you know, what's working outside of shopping, also works within shopping, and then there's always that alignment there. And sometimes there's differences. We don't do a lot of home on, you know, across the rest of the refinery, but we also do a lot of living, COVID living. That's just, that's, everyone has to talk about that, right? So we try to make sure that we find those touch points where, again, our audience knows us, they believe us, we test drive the, the, the products for people. And with the supply chain issues that have been going on since last fall and are continuing, is that something where you have to take into account what's in stock or what's, you know, seeing really inflation in pricing when you're thinking about from like an editorial standpoint, what products or types of products to be featuring? I think the supply chain issue is always going to be there. And I think we talked about this yesterday too. I was in a lot of your sessions. Um, We have very little control over that, right? So one of the tactics that we try to work around that is knowing what our audience likes, right? And then we know there's certain price points that our safe spaces or, you know, not to overuse safe spaces, but those are the sweet spots for our audience, right? So a couple of months ago, I started a shopping column and it's really just my personal view and my editorial expertise in certain topic areas and shopping, right? And just me curating. But when I handed it into the shopping editor, she knows our audience intimately. And she was like, ooh, some of the items you picked are a little high for our audience because there's that intimate knowledge, right? So when it comes to supply chain issues, you know, there's a lot of conversation between you know, Amazon and all of our other um, partners 
what's happening, what's not. Um, so we try to keep that into, into uh, consideration. But the other thing is the audience um, experience is, is vital, right? We don't want to send anyone to anything that's sold out. So we're constantly checking, we're updating. If we see that you know, if something is sold out, we will update that link in, in a timely fashion because we don't want anyone having a bad experience because it only takes one or two times and it's a wrap. You lose people, especially if they're a new person that we're trying to develop a loyal relationship with. Got it. And you mentioned that there are a bunch of different teams that are tied to commerce in some way or another. Can you talk about how those teams work together and how frequently they're touching base to make sure that you know, the audience experience is really good and someone isn't dropping off because you know, a broken link is there? Yeah. Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, in recent months, uh, our, our head of commerce, our VP of commerce, um, her name is Samantha Baker. She's amazing. Um, you know, she just slacked me and was like, listen, I'm noticing that only 70% of your articles across all of .com um, have skin links, right? And I'm like, 70? I'm like, yo, we could do better than that, guys. Like, come on, you know? And, but our fashion and beauty teams, you know, all the other verticals, they're, in con they're on Slack all day with the shopping editors who have the expertise. And like I said, they know the audience um, really well. And, and, but to me, 70%, like that's a C. I couldn't come home with a C in school. We could do better as a team. Also, let's, let's close that gap. And it's most important as a service brand, we want, again, the user experience to, to work, right? So closing in those communication gaps across different teams um, is really important. We have someone who leads SEO, I mentioned earlier. Um, and so right now we're going through an exercise, kind of a, a mini audit across different verticals to see, okay, are we stacking up as we should be? Are we really leveraging um, our search the way we can be, the, the best way we can be? And an example of that is, okay, home, well-being, right? But what does that mean? That's just, those are just words, right? But home to me means office chair. That means that I mean, my back is hurting, you know, that affects how I um, perform. And we noticed that we haven't been specific enough. And so there's a lot of room to grow there. And, but that's all team communication, right? And that's us slacking each other. Um, we're all zoomed out, not a new thing, right? Um, but we have to prioritize making sure that everyone within you know, our village is speaking to each other because um, although you know, since we started since 2018, our growth has been incredible, November um, was our highest revenue year yet. So, like we performed 36%, over 36% year over year. Like that for us was a big deal um, because again, we're still building every, you know, these are building blocks, but that was really because of the synergy that we're, you're trying to optimize across our team. And with that SEO approach, like, I mean, when I started writing online, it was the SEO era. And so any like fledgling writer or journalist, you were kind of trained to write for search in ways, but in the past, decade that kind of switched a little bit to you were, ended up writing for social. And it was a different kind of writing, different kind of headlines, different ways that you kind of arrange things in the post. With now SEO kind of coming back in vogue in a way, like how do you train the editorial team, especially like the younger writers who maybe just came up in writing for social to be considering SEO when they're writing? So we have weekly edit meetings and um, our, our head of operations, Carly, um, well, we go through like what's our what's our agenda for our edit meetings for the foreseeable future, right? And we make sure that at least monthly we have our SEO lead in the room refreshing, right? And of course, you know Google changes 
we have to keep up with those changes. But some of those changes can be quite technical for your everyday editor, right? And so um, making that, those updates really digestible for people whose first muscle is storytelling is something that we work at. You know, we're like, let's make a deck. Let's make the deck pretty. Let's make the deck interesting. Let's play a game. Let's do breakout rooms. I know, again, we're all tired of breakout rooms, but we have to find the ways to make it click so that when you're interviewing, you're writing your story, or you know, you're doing your Instagram Live, or whatever it is, you're thinking about, this is, this is something that's front of mind, right? And we have to socialize it constantly. And it really does take it happening all the time, right? Like, we can't do it at the beginning of the year and then never think about it until the end of the year when it's gifting season, you know? It's really important that we do it all the time. Um, and then the other thing is uh, the way, I think you, you mentioned, you know, sometimes search was leading the storytelling. Again, as a service brand, we produce for our audience. We want to serve our audience. So for us, it's always about the people and creating that, that community. And again, we have you know, pockets of community. So we're putting ourselves in their shoes when we write for them. And I'll give you an example. Um, one of our uh, younger writers, she, uh, this is just on our one-on-one, -on -one. I was just checking in with her and she was new and she is quite young. Um, you know, she was like, you know, I, every time I write about Latinx brands, you know, I do these roundups and I'm so proud of them, you know, and I'm Latinx and I'm queer and I'm like just really excited about being able to publish this and people should get to know these, these new emerging brands, um, but they don't really perform well and they don't convert well. And, you know, and I'm, again, I'm not the person with the, the most expertise on this team, but just me as a consumer and as an editor, I'm like, well, if you're doing roundups, roundups are great, right? Everyone, yes, I want to support, you know, BIPOC-owned brands or queer brands, both, all the above. But what mindset am I in? Am I looking for lipsticks? Am I, um, do I need a new desk chair? Like, the specificity matters. So it's not, there's nothing wrong with doing, like, here's all the black-owned businesses that you could support this holiday season. Those are great, but put yourself in the buyer's shoe, right? No matter where you're coming from, you're searching for something in most cases. And that's why search obviously plays such a role. But just reminding our editors, specificity. Put yourself in, in the shopper's shoes. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back. And I want to touch on social commerce a little bit as well, because I feel like that's something that um, I've heard a few people in the working groups talk about. And, and I'm curious because there's a big focus on approaching, you know, audiences on those platforms. Like Instagram, I think a lot of people kind of have been to I shop from Instagram quite frequently. It's, it's starting to be a platform of consideration. But there's also like that kind of live shopping element that's coming on top of it for some of the platforms. How are you thinking about social commerce or even like getting into that like live shopping area? Is it something that you think about in your you know progression of commerce? Yeah, I think I've been thinking about it for like three years, but in more recent months, <laughs> um, we're gonna start live testing in the spring. Um, we're considering YouTube uh, as our starting place. Um, and we're probably gonna start with beauty just because again, it's a strong category for us. And we know um, for us creating, again, that sense of community, having our editors out front, um, having their faces in front is really important. They are, our audience responds well um, to that sense of community and getting to know who is, who is telling me about this product. Um, and also even in, in text format, Whenever we have fashion editors, beauty editors, shopping editors in the headline, that content always performs at least six and a half times over benchmark. So using those sort of nuggets of insights, um, we know that, okay, we want to have our editors out front doing live shopping. So definitely want to be more aggressive about that. I think philosophically, 
we have to socialize our audience, right? Like we know that we've been doing shopping since 2018. Our loyal audience knows that, but we really have to tell people, we can't expect them to know three years from now that you know, we can do live shopping, that we have all these capabilities. We can't expect them to know that. We're competing with everyone else in this room. Everyone else, we're competing with creators. We're competing with brands themselves creating content. So we have to start somewhere and be aggressive about testing um, and learning and we have to make sure that we tell people, hey, you can shop us over here, you can shop us over here, you can shop us over here, you can shop us over here. Because guess what? They're not coming in through one door, right? They're coming in through multiple doors depending on where they are that day and that moment. And you mentioned the spring, looking to start testing live shoppable video. You're on, I mean, Refinery29 has a pretty good footprint across YouTube, across Instagram, across TikTok. And those are kind of the big three right now when it comes to live shoppable video platforms. Sounds like you're leaning towards YouTube, but what's the kind of the checklist or the criteria you have in mind when you're evaluating which platform you want to be going with? Well, I lean on our VP in particular. She is about, she's got very aggressive revenue goals. So when we're thinking about which platform is going to drive the most revenue for us, um, that's usually the starting point. Um, for me, brand is important, you know, innovation, but getting a uh, connection with talent, right? So again, who is Refinery29? You need to know. Amanda Mitchell, she's our editor. She's always talking about eye makeup, you know, creating those franchises. Where can we do that? Um, but then also looking at historically where have we performed across certain categories, right? Uh, when, I, when we relaunched R29 Style, we relaunched it on Instagram because we had uh, an account there that was just sitting idle, um, but that community was still active. And so Instagram is very much still a consideration, but when I think about sort of the checklist, YouTube so far, you know, this may change, but right now that's where we're tracking towards. Got it, got it. And then like with YouTube, it also, I mean, YouTube, it's a video platform, but it's also often described as like the second biggest search engine out there. That seems really good, especially for live shop. I should have video. totally mentioned that. And yes, then there's also 100%. like the evergreen aspect. And so is that something you're also thinking about is like both kind of that SEO approach with live shoppable video on YouTube, but then also like, okay, are these videos that are videos that can kind of stand the test of time? So like, not only do we get that kind of bump when it's live, but six months from now, a year from now, this is something that's gonna continue to be bringing in viewers, continue to be bringing in sales. Definitely the long tail approach for sure, right? I'd say that that's a major part of it. I would say it's two pronged, right? Because again, trends, people do look to refinery to um, test drive trends for them. So obviously the whole point of a trend is like, you know, there's a timeliness to it, right? Um, and if you search some trends, you know, you're like, whoa, that was a thing in culture, like that happened. Um, so we know that that type of content is only gonna have a certain shelf life. But then again, like you said, leveraging search, we have a really strong muscle there. You know, YouTube, Google, like that's, that's the perfect um, environment for that. So yeah, we have a two-prong strategy. Like what are the trends today? Let's test drive them. If you're really curious about, like for me, I've been wanting to dye my eyebrows cobalt blue for like two years now. Right. And it's not gonna happen. I'm not putting bleach on my forehead, but I still wanna do it. But <laughs> our beauty editor, she tested all of these new eyebrow pencils that really, like they're, they're so, so, so bright. And, but the thing is, I needed her to do that for me. And so we do that every day across all different types of products and categories. But we know, again, if people are searching mascara, they're searching eyebrow pencils, lip liner, Y2K trends, right? That has to exist. And then there are other trends like good waterproof mascara. That will never go away as a strong search term. Like it's just gonna be there. So we approach it in both ways, um, using talent and creating, again, that sense of community and connection and then hopefully convenience. 
Yeah. So one of the topics that came up during the working group this morning is thinking about content and commerce and whether or not the investment into the content piece of it is worth it. And I think, I mean, you have a very strong case for why it is, especially with that like first person approach and really relying on the experts in your team to do that. But I guess for the, for the people in the audience who might be kind of thinking about whether or not they should maybe build a commerce team or really like investing into that content, like, I guess, what would you say to that? Of course, you need to prioritize, but do it. And the reason why I say this, I understand we can't do all the things. We can't be all things to all people, right? Um, but I really do think, well, let me, let me take a step back. I mentioned our insights team who works across um, Vice Media, right? And they do qualitative and quantitative research. Um, so we have different ways of understanding what's important to our audience, right? And, and then, you know, we look at the shopping team, their numbers, and what's converting and what's not, and we try to find those connections. Um, our insights team, they did this report called The Future of Stuff, and um, a couple of things came out of this that I'd love to share with you guys. So I'll call the, the, the C's, right? It's kind of like buying a diamond ring. You've got co convenience, culture, care, connection. And the connection part, right, why people buy things, and this was all across um, Gen Z audiences and young millennial audiences, why do they buy? Um, connection can be interpreted in many different ways. We interpret it, you know, creating a sense of community um, for different, uh, for our sub-brands, you know, Somos and Unbothered. Unbothered is our brand for and by black women, um, and Somos is our brand for and by um, young Latinx folks. And <laughs> they need to see each other. Like they need to see themselves in the content and that helps again, that sense of brand affinity, right? I feel a connection with your brand. I feel like you're legit because I see myself in your brand. If they don't have that connection, they're less likely to buy. Like it doesn't take a team of, you know, data scientists to figure that out. And so, but having the insights team to sort of back up that editorial notion that we've already sort of figured out um, across our platforms is really powerful. Uh, and, the other important thing about you know, the, the marriage between content and commerce is storytelling is a powerful tool, right? When for us, our voice, we're irreverent. We, um, again, I talked about telling story to the first person. When I can identify about what you're going through and what you're experiencing, where your mindset is, I, there's, it's different than just being like, this is a cool item. This is great. Because I guess what? There's so many other people doing the same thing. We all knew that this brand released a new thing. Mm -hmm. But what else is there to know? Why does it matter? Why does it, how does it fit into my life? How does it fit into my life as a black woman? How does it fit into my life? All the intersectionality of it, that there's so much opportunity to connect with people and develop that loyalty so that when they want to shop or they want to um, understand how a product works, right? Um, if they want to debunk certain things, if they want to test drive trends, right? Doing that work for them, storytelling is a powerful mechanism to do that. So again, I understand we can't do all the things, but it really, storytelling acts as a vehicle to conversion, in my humble opinion. Do you have any brands that like, paid to have their product featured? Or like, is there any kind of like branded content over, overlay on the commerce side? Or is everything purely editorially? Chosen? So far purely editorial, um, but you know, there's always room for. Yeah, because one of the, I think one of the other conversations that came up in that conversation this morning in the working group was the fact that like getting into commerce could steal away from the advertising side. Like brands want to, you know, go to the commerce team because maybe it's cheaper, maybe it's, you know, very, you know, bottom of the funnel. 
and I think that was one of the the not criticisms, but like concerns, right, mm -hmm. with getting into this space. But so far, you're not really kind of. Have you seen that at all, actually? So it's so funny. Uh, so Jenny Pennett here, she's our head of U.S. sales in uh, advice media. And yesterday we sat at, in the the right media group session with Essence uh, Communications, and we were like. This, we are not leveraged, like fully leveraging. We, we do some of, you know, um, some of that, but I really believe that there's a lot more room to do that in a tasteful way without, you know, sacrificing brand integrity, right? Without sacrificing your audience trust. We cherish above all else the trust that we have and that connection that we have with our audience. If we lose that, no one's buying anything and they're definitely not gonna, you know, engage with you off platform or on platform. So yes, it's tricky to navigate, um, but I think, our audiences are so savvy, especially you know our, our more emergent audiences. They know that we have relationships with brands. They're not stupid, you know. They and but the thing is, they are also very conscious consumers, right? And so they will do the research. They want to understand well, who is it that I'm buying? Whether I'm spending twelve dollars or I'm spending twelve hundred dollars. I had a friend of mine, and she's a lot younger than I am. Text me a photo of you know it's Sex in the City's return over the past several months. People are still young and old. People are still you know Sarah Jessica Parker. She sent me this beautiful dress that Sarah Jessica Parker was in, and she was like, "Should I do it?" And then sent me a link to Farfetch, and it was on sale. And I was like, "Live your best life. Like you, you really look great in this." And then two days later, when I arrived here yesterday, she sent me another screenshot where she wrote Farfetch a letter, and I won't mention the brand, um, but she was like. This brand, I, I had to remind myself, they're not in line with my values, and so I, I went to stop this order. So for her to take the time to do that, like that's kind of a pain in the ass. You know, oh sorry, yeah. sorry, I forgot we we're recording. But uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that's a pain to have to do that. But that is emblematic of the type of consumers that all of us are trying to create relationships with. Yeah. They will pop the hood on a brand. And so when we're talking about, about branded content overlapping that with affiliate, yes, it is tricky to navigate. But I do think that that is still um, uh, an area of opportunity for refinery in particular. Um, and I think, again, we don't have to do it without sacrificing um, integrity or our, our audience's expectations. Yeah. I know we need to wrap in a second, but before we do, going back to this you know, question of is commerce content worth it? For you all, is there, it feels like there could be some equation you put together where you look at the number of people who visited an article, the percentage of them that click through on one of the commerce links to it, as well as like the bounce rate and like out of that equation you get kind of a metric to rule them all. Is there a metric that you look at to judge whether a post worked or didn't work from a commerce perspective? Um, we're not quite there yet. That's where I want to be by the half. That's, that's like where, um, when I go back to New York, that's really where we want to be. Um, I think I talked about how all of our teams, we have weekly meetings, we're on Slack, um, but I want to be that surgical in it. Um, especially because now we're gonna add live shopping onto it, right? And so again, when you're talking about, you know, is the content worth it? Um, when, when you have people with a voice and they're funny or they're interesting or they know their stuff, right? When you put them in front of a live audience, um, again, that's trust, that's brand familiarity, right? They know that this person is always talking about this and they know their stuff. And so when you look at .com, where obviously the most of our, our revenue is coming from, I do want to be able to say, okay, we need to dial this down, dial this up to make sure that we're maximizing revenue here, right? Um, I think in some categories we're closer to that, mm -hmm. um, you know, home and fashion and beauty being being some of those categories. But I think there's a lot more room for us to do that, and that's what we're tracking towards aggressively. 
Got it. Cool. Well, I think that's all the time we have. But Simon, thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Thanks for your time. You You guys are great. Thank you. Thanks for your time. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode. 